Hey, guys, give somebody a high five or a hug as you're sitting down. Tell them you're glad they're here. Absolutely, right. bro. Come on in. Bring it in. What's up, man? How are you? Good to see you, bro. Sweet. All right, friends. I am excited to continue to walk with you on this journey through the Gospel of John, looking together at different encounters uh, that people had with Jesus, and then wondering, what do those encounters mean for us? And the one we're going to look at tonight, uh, we find in John chapter 2, really early in the story. So if you have a Bible, turn it open to John chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, raise your hand, and Rachel will give you one. Uh, and then just open it open to, excuse me, open it open. Open it up to chapter 2, and we're going to take a look at that story in a second. It's a story that maybe uh, you've heard before, even if you haven't spent much time in church in your life, you may have heard the story of Jesus uh, at a wedding banquet, uh, which is a story we're going to look at. But as uh, you turn into there, as I was studying this text, of course, we're looking at Jesus at a wedding banquet, and I can't help but think of my own wedding and our own wedding reception, right? Which for me and my wife, Julie, this is her, this is our family, right? So this is Julie, Mac, Allie, and obviously that guy is me. Um, for us, uh, for Julie and I, this past December was our 15th year wedding anniversary, which is awesome, dude. We, we graduated college one Saturday and got married the next. It was awesome. And uh, we've been married 15 years. It kind of hit me as I was reflecting on that. Like, wait, a couple years from now, like, I could legitimately be the parent of a college freshman. That felt really weird to think about. I know, right? You're giving me this really creepy look. That's how I felt about the whole thing. Um, but anyway, we got married uh, 15 years ago. This is a little bit of our wedding. So this is us uh, at the wedding itself. I know she's so hot. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Great thing about getting married December 22 is that most of the decorations are already done, right? You can see in the back. We didn't have to do anything, basically. Uh, most of the decorations were there. And then she, uh, because she's a diva, had to do a wardrobe change. And uh, she put this one on for our reception, which is a more traditional Chinese wedding uh, uh, dress. It's probably obvious to you, but my wife is Chinese. Uh, her family are all uh, Chinese refugees who came to the United States after uh, or near the end of the uh, very awful civil war that was happening in Cambodia in the late 70s, which Vietnam War, all those things are all tied together. Um, and so... Uh, so she's, again, uh, Chinese, her whole family are Chinese refugees, and uh, just to make a, a quick comment about that, I have deep personal feelings uh, and input uh, concerning our new policy about refugees and the way we slam the door now in the face of people who are fleeing for their lives. That's my family, and uh, so I find it troubling that we have this new policy, but that's not what I'm here to talk about. Let me talk about weddings. Those are much more pleasant. Uh, anyway, back to the topic of weddings. One of the things that people remember most about our wedding was the food. That's partly because it wasn't like chicken and mashed potatoes, right? We had a, uh, an Asian buffet, basically, for our wedding. All this really good um, ethnic Asian food. Interesting thing about that, though, is uh, the, at the wedding itself, uh, excuse me, at the reception itself, we got there. And I wasn't sure if we were going to have enough food. The wedding 
it, we had invited 150 to 200 people to our actual wedding. About 175 people showed up. It was great. We had a, uh, the service was amazing. I mean, we walked away married. That was the goal, right? But everything about it was really great. And we get to the reception hall, and I walk in. Guess how many people are in the reception hall? Just throw out a number. Really close. 325, which is slightly over double the expectations, right? So we walk into the reception hall, and then there's all of these Asian people that are saying, oh, thank you so much for inviting us to your wedding. You're welcome. Who are you? Right? And over and over and over again, this is happening, and I'm freaking out inside. Like, we're walking up to the head table at the wedding. I'm like, okay, we had 150 planned, uh, 175 showed up. We had already did the numbers. Or we expected maybe we'd have 200. We had enough food for that. There's 125-ish more people than that. All right, if the wedding party doesn't eat and my close family doesn't eat and I ask all of our college friends, I'll take you out for pizza afterwards and they don't eat, maybe we're going to make it, right? Well, my mother-in-law, who fully expected this, wasn't anxious at all. Because in traditional Chinese weddings, uh, the way you do things is you have a small family event for the wedding, and then you have this big party with all your families and friends afterwards. So all the Asian folks came for the party. They don't go to the wedding. It's just not part of the thing. Right? And my mother-in-law knew that, but nobody communicated with white boy here about that whole process. <laughs> right? So I'm freaking out. And uh, she's like, no, it's fine. So she had already talked to the caterer, who was a friend, uh, there was plenty of food. We all ate way more than we needed, and we danced until uh, the place kicked us out. It was a great night, one of the best nights of my life. But it could have been ugly. <laughs> it could have been awkward. Weddings are great, man. I love weddings, wedding receptions. They're always fun because all these expectations about the event, what's it going to be, how is it going to be, like they get fulfilled in that moment. There's just this great moment of joy and release. Uh, and, you know, being together with people you love at wedding receptions, they're great. But I would not expect it to be the place where we find Jesus' first miracle. I mean, that's kind of odd. Like, of all the things that John could tell us about Jesus' life and ministry, actually, at the end of the gospel, John says, if I told you guys everything there is to tell you about the life of Jesus, the whole world wouldn't be able to contain the books that were written about it. And if that's true... Of all the things you could have told us, John, this story? Jesus is at a small town wedding? It's odd. And there's something about odd stories in the Bible that, that you want to pay attention to. If you come across a story in Scripture that is odd and seems like this really doesn't need to be here, pay really close attention to those stories because God's trying to tell you something special. Here's what we read. In John chapter 2. The third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, Jesus says, Why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. But his mother said to the servants, Do 
whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing. Each held 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he, took, uh, he told them, well, draw some out. Take it to the master of ceremonies. They did. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who drew the water knew. Then he called the groom aside and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, then the cheap wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you, you've saved the best until now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. It's a good story, right? This is the miracle of choice for all of you college students. Be honest. Right? Jesus turns plain old tap water into top shelf cabaret. Saves the day for this couple in Cana. But of all the things about Jesus' life and ministry that John could tell us, this? A story about Jesus somewhat begrudgingly changing water to wine at a small town wedding reception? Why is this important? How is it a sign that reveals his glory? To get our heads and our hearts around this, we need to look at reality through John's eyes. See, John's a Jew living in Palestine in the first century, and you may recall if you were here last week that uh, Jews living in Palestine in the first century are people who lived under occupation. In fact, Jews like John had been living under conquest or occupation for the better part of 600 years by this time. And by then, Israel had become a volatile cocktail of religious, political, and economic factions. They had their own versions of make Israel great again. They had their own versions of Jewish lives matter. They had their own versions of can't we just all get along? And their own versions of can't you just leave me alone? Right? They had their own versions of all the volatile cocktail that we too live in today. But of all these factions, all these groups in Israel, there is a deep, deep longing. A longing for God to fulfill his promise to send a deliverer. The one who would be like King David. The one who would reign with justice and righteousness. The one who would make everything right again. Ah, that was going to be a good day. The day when God keeps his promise to deliver us from our enemies. Old Testament prophets wrote songs and poems. The Old Testament is littered with songs and poems uh, from the prophets about this very thing. And over time, God's people started to get a picture a picture in their minds of what it would look like when heaven would come down to earth, when God would step in to deliver his people, a day that they called the day of the Lord. It's a good name, right? Because it was the day of the Lord coming. The day when God would rescue his people by sending his Messiah. In all those poems and songs, guys, 
new wine was a sign. A sign of the day, that the day had come, that the abundance, the blessing of God had come down to earth. New wine is always the sign. In fact, if you uh, want to read some of those yourself, you can this week in the CM app, the Life Group section of the CM app. I've listed several of those songs and poems from the prophets if you want to look those up later. But let me just read a couple of excerpts to you. From the prophet Amos, he says, In that day, that is in the day of the Lord, the day when the Lord comes to rescue his people, I will restore David's fallen house. I'll repair its broken walls. I'll restore its ruins, declares the Lord. Who will do these things? For on that day, says the Lord, the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman, the planter by the one who's treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow through all the hills, and I will bring my people back. What a promise. Jeremiah says it this way, On that day, the day of the Lord, they will come with shouts of joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord, in the new grain, in the new wine, in the oil. Young women will dance and be glad, young men and old as well. What looks more like a wedding than grandpas dancing with their granddaughters, guys, right? I'll turn their mourning into gladness. I'll give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. I will satisfy them with my abundance and my people will be filled with my bounty declares the Lord you need to understand they knew these songs by heart it lived in them they longed for that day they hoped that Jesus was that guy the one who would bring all those promises into reality and here they are, small town wedding reception. Is he the guy? Is it going to happen? Why are we here? And then they watch as the banquet servers fill up the washing bins with water. And they dip some out and they take it to the master of ceremonies. And then he takes a drink. <laughs> Most people bring out the choice wine at the beginning and then the cheap stuff after everybody's had some. You save the best to last. <sighs> and they saw it. I imagine it, it caught their breath when they saw it. Here, Jesus gives this amazing gift to newlyweds, saves the day for them, even though it wasn't on his agenda. Nobody but the disciples or the banquet servers saw it, but for those disciples, for the first time, they caught sight of it. It was happening. Jesus really was God's promise. Messiah, God really had come to save us. God, it must have been like seeing the ring for the first time. You guys have seen all those videos, right? Videos of when the, it's all set up, it's all there, and you know it's coming, but the girl didn't know. And then all of a sudden she turns around and catch a breath. It's going to happen. 
It must have been like that. They saw it for the very first time through the sign of overflowing, abundant wine at a small town wedding feast in Cana. God has come to save us. And friends, John tells us this story. He could have let it pass into history, just let the disciples have seen it, had their breath snatched by it, and been filled with that joy. But John tells it to us, because he wants us to see it. By telling us about the miracle of the wine at the wedding reception, right at the beginning of the gospel, it's like he's hanging a big banner across the front of the story. The groom has arrived. The party is ready to begin. And when they saw it, their response was exactly what the response is when you see the ring. Yes! Yes! I do! They believed. Or more aptly, they put they entrusted themselves. It's a passive. They entrusted themselves. They put themselves into the hands of Jesus. That's what it means that they believed in him. All in. Entrusted themselves the way a fiance entrusts herself to her uh, to his bride. All in. Nothing less. Here's a question. Are you all in? Have you entrusted yourself to Jesus? All of you. Right? It'd be a really strange response to see in the ring. Yes, yes, I do. You have my heart. But he has my body. No. That's not how it works. It's all. All in. Have you entrusted yourself, all of you, to Jesus? All in. Nothing less. Have you entrusted your heart to Christ? Have you given him your hopes and your dreams? Have you entrusted your body to Jesus? That is, your work, your sleep, your sexuality, your use of controlled substances of all kinds? Have you entrusted your body to him? Have you entrusted your wallet to him? Do you talk it over with Jesus how you're going to spend this money? Have you entrusted your future to him? Where are we going, Jesus? This is what John wants us to see. It's why he starts the story this way. He wants us to get the picture. The groom has arrived. The king came to us just like he's promised. And if he kept that promise, then he's going to keep his other promises. 
His promise to come back and finish what he started. His promise to put an end to all sorrow and injustice to bring us, the church, his bride home. Have you entrusted your life to the groom? This picture of Jesus as the groom coming for his bride must have just captivated John. Not only is he the only one that tells us this story, but near the end of his life when uh, John had been sentenced to a prison island. I mean, how bad is that? How, how bad does it get if you're sentenced to a, an island prison, right? John is sentenced to an island prison because he had entrusted his life to Jesus and he would not back away from it. And from that prison, he wrote these words from Revelation chapter 19. A vision of what it will be when Christ comes to complete the work. Hallelujah, John says. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, were given to her to wear. These fine linen stand for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said these things to me. Write this down. Blessed. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And then he said, These are the true words of God. Come, Lord Jesus. Your world is waiting for you. As we rehearse today, we have this ritual called Holy Communion where we take a little bit of bread and a little bit of juice and we remember the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples before he suffered. Suffered, And often because of the context of that being Jesus' last meal, we look at communion as a last supper only. That is a meal, a kind of funeral meal, only a memorial. But guys, in light of the resurrection, in light of the ascension, in light of the reality, Jesus is right now at this very moment, seated at the right hand of the Father, preparing the way for his return, preparing his home, for his bride in light of this reality. We know that Jesus not only died for our sins, he's coming back for us. It's a promise, a promise just like the promise made through the prophets. God is coming back for his bride, the wedding reception of the Lamb. And my friends, you better believe that on that day, Every refugee will have a home. And on that day, every unwanted child will have a family. And every hungry stomach will be fed. And every evil scheme will be put down. And justice will flow like a river from the throne of God. On that day, every pain, every sorrow, every shame will be washed in the blood of the Lamb. This meal is a sign. It's a promise 
When we eat this bread and we drink this cup, guys, we say in the face of everything that's going on in our world and that may be going on in your own life that would conspire to steal away the joy, to steal away the hope, to steal away the love, we say hallelujah. For the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. The wedding of the Lamb is coming. The party is just getting started. Blessed are you, friends. You have been invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Pray with me. Jesus, our minds and our hearts can't even begin to comprehend this glory that you have prepared for us. Give us a vision. Poke a hole into the veil that often shields our eyes from seeing your glory. Give us a glimpse of it tonight in the bread and in the juice of communion. Awaken us, Lord, to this vision so that more and more every day we entrust ourselves to you, our bodies, our souls, our minds, our work, all of our lives with the wonderful, glorious, joyful expectation that as we entrust ourselves to you, you will always keep your promise and that you will bring us home. We pray this in the powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we all say together, amen.